It's 10am, it's New Year's Day, and I wanted to take a bit of time to reflect on what I've learned as a business owner in what will be basically, I guess, my second year of business now. It might be useful for you guys if you're starting your own business, if you're wanting to progress in your work or you're looking for work, or maybe you want to make riding bikes your full-time living. I'm going to tell you basically how I think you would do that. I'm not going to give you a direct path to it, but I'm going to give you the tools and the knowledge that an extra year of business has taught me. The biggest thing I learned in business, full stop, was you don't have to ask permission. From your parents telling you what to do, and your teachers at school, to going into your first job, or working for a family member, or whatever it was, you're kind of used to people telling you what to do. That work is something that happens when you go through the door, and you're given a set of tasks to complete. You know, I always find it kind of weird... And I run my businesses differently, you know, and and we run them more differently as time went on. Me and my wife had sort of learned. There was this weird thing at work where you arrive at nine and you finish at five. And you go out the door at five o'clock, well, like school, you know. So if I finished my work at two o'clock, I'd have to kind of make myself look busy in my day job, you know. And that's kind of, that's so bizarre and, and, and weird. It leaves no space for innovation. I realised that you guys might... Um, be working in a in a job where once you finish it, there's nothing to do. I, I, some advice for you, and this is going to make me sound like a capitalist pig, but stay, you know, stay with me and go for, um, you know, try and find out what's happening, you know, and 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 follow me through this and see how it works for you. Just like do it for a couple of months and see see how it goes. So if you're in a regular job, you know, stick with me and and listen to the rest of the podcast and and see what you think. If you put it all together, start finding things to do at work. You know, um make yourself valuable. You know, I always wondered um you know when I was a lot younger um why I didn't progress at work and I, I did less than the bare minimum at work. You know, I really did. Um, and I would wonder why other people were picked around me to progress. Now, when my when my daughter come along, I, I suddenly had like a kind of snap change where I was, you know, I, I started to feel more in charge of myself because I was a father of a child. Now, it might, might be a different trigger for you, you know, something, something changes for you. I was suddenly a father of a child. I had this responsibility and I, I was I was a parent. So I was like the people. It was almost like an excuse to be like the people who used to tell me what to do. My my parents, you know, my my grandparents, my my peers, my, you know, my school teachers and stuff like that. You know, the people that told me what to do, a figure of authority. So I found at work that I was kind of like, well, I finished doing what I'm doing. It'd be like, well, just sit there and get, you know, make yourself look busy. I'd be like, nah, you know, what else should I be doing? You know, um, can I take a look at, you know, extra things? And I did. Now, I'm not saying that you should overwork yourself. That's that's not what I'm saying at all. And I don't think that you should be a capitalist slave wage that, you know, that, that bootlicks their way through the job. What I'm saying is, is that if you want to if you if you're destined to to sit in a a nine to five wage related society, is that you might find that your progression is being held back by the the way that you are. Are you coming into work barely on time with a hangover, kind of dragging yourself to coffee time? And then you know, could you really do your day's work in three hours or four hours? You know. It's time to talk to your boss or your boss's boss about restructuring your workload. Conversely, there is no pride in working yourself to death, right? 
and I, and I'm gonna, you know, this is something that a year ago I was like, you know, I might as well have called myself Hustle Grind Incorporated, getting that paper. You know, I was like, I get up at four o'clock in the morning, and you know, like I'm grinding seven days a week. I'm grinding. You know, I do this for my family. You know, and it's like you'll see it like loads of people like talking about this grind, this grind, this hustle. You know, you've got to work twenty four hours a day. You've got to always be on, and your phones. Are, it's not healthy. It doesn't work. You know what, at the beginning, it absolutely is, like, the only way of doing things is getting there, being structured, getting authority, and and doing it. But it's like everything, like a really strict diet, or going to the gym every day, and things like that, eventually, you you, you wear out, and you burn out, and you can't sustain it. So you have to set a long-term goal, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to work 70 hours a week for the first three months, and then I'm going to drop it down to 50, and I'm going to go to 40, and I'm going to start... I'm going to stop at 30 hours a week. And it's like to give myself the time to recover. Now, I don't have the luxury of that at the moment because I made the stupid decision of having manufacturers in three time zones. So mine's all over the place. But I've said for, for 2019, I started to get the play, things in you know into place. I've got a, uh, a thing on my email that means that I only receive emails between nine and five weekdays, you know, so little tools like that. Maybe not important for you guys at the moment, but it's certainly a big change for me. And realizing that all of these guys that are posted on Instagram, like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm up getting that paper. I'm like, they're they're probably not. It's just it's just stunting for Instagram. It's it's the same as you know, like yoga instructors and things like that, and people posting juice cleanses. Don't get too conned into it. What I'm saying is, you are the boss now, right? And it's so it's so such not a human thing to be in charge and to to be a leader unless you're a sociopath you know like but you really are you don't need permission to do things if you want to start your own business if you want to do your own things you want to start a new hobby you want to do so you don't have to look for validation of peers around you it's totally and utterly okay to just go and do your own thing and you know you'll find like uh, there was like a, a day like like 15 years ago or something and i was having a particularly bad like day and i was like Right, I've got to do, you know, i got to do something. And my train went through Gatwick Airport, and I was on my way to London, and I, I got off the train, and I walked into the airport, and I actually uh, I went onto, like, an internet terminal that they had in there, which is kind of like a phone box, you know, where you could pay with a card. You can go on the internet. And I bought tickets to a flight that was in four hours' time. And I just, I just got on the flight and went. You know, it was like... I realised, and that was like one of the days I realised, you know, I don't need to ask people's permission. I just just go ahead and do it. And once you start doing things like that, and I'm not saying like, oh, I might just jump out in front of a train or something. I was like, stop getting scared out of, you know, doing stuff. The other thing is you've got to turn your fear around on itself. And um, a friend of mine uh, rang me up two days ago and he wanted to chat. He wanted to say, oh, you know, I'm thinking about starting my own business. And I said, oh, cool. And I went through a few things with, with him. And there were just cautions about things you'll need to think about, you know. And I actually said, um, uh, I've got, you know, I've got a couple of examples. I won't go too personally who it was and what he's talking about. But I said, um, you know, what would happen if, um, you know, you're working in your, your business on your own. You have a one-to-one relationship uh, w- with the customer. I said, there's some things that are in your hands and... Um, that you can manage that's saying the uh, say the customer faints or something and falls to the floor you know your insurance will cover that you know and 
I said, these are adult situations you don't even really expect yourself dealing with, you know, in your own business. What happens if a customer gets hurt? Or what happens if you get a customer that says something happened that didn't? I said, those are the things you have to think about. And he took my, and this was part of a very long list of things that we went through. And he was like, actually, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's not a good idea to do it at all. And I thought, that's that's that would so be my response. Beyond, It was almost like a peer was telling me I wasn't capable of doing this when really he was misinterpreting what I was saying. I was like, the best thing you can do in your business is prepare for every eventuality and have some kind of, you know, task. I'm not saying every eventuality, like, a meteor comes through the window and blows the place up. But I'm saying, like, things like fire, flood, theft, um, you know, periods of low work, prepare for those things, and it'll make your job a lot less scary and, a lot, you know, a, a lot more likely to be productive. So we went through those things. So what I'm saying is don't confuse preparation with dissuasion. If someone's giving you advice, they will tell you about the things that worry and concern them. But what they might not talk about is the flexibility and the um, the absolute joy of making your own money for yourself to do your own things, especially from things that you love. And you really, really can't put a price on that. The other thing is that I think that we, we, we've come to a, a really weird time and I, I say that a lot, we live in strange times indeed, that um, people are reliant on each other more than anything. But there's also a kind of societal pressure to do things for people. And I feel like a lot of goodwill is being eroded through um, through this kind of process. And it's happening, it happens in work. And I was, I was explaining to a, a family member how I thought that it would be better if she dealt with things at work in a certain way. Now, I feel like it's a different way, different thing from what I was talking about earlier when you ask for more work or you ask to take on more responsibility, which is likely to lead to you progressing in the business. This is the other thing is doing things for people above you who don't ask you to do them in a way that... Uh, so, example. Oh, yeah, well, we're going to have trouble on Saturday. Oh, why is that? We just don't have enough people working. Oh, oh, I, I don't work this Saturday. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just that I, I'm going away because you know my my kid's got a ballet recital and uh, got a couple of people off ill. And and you know naturally, I can feel myself wanting to jump and you know and say, well, I'll do it. But what we've got to do is, in a formalised work environment, the, the, the boss of you should actually have the courage and the strength. There shouldn't be this kind of passive-aggressive thing in the workplace. We need to get clarity back in the workplace. We need a clear chain of command. So what I started doing towards the end of my career, you know, and it was I was so powerful and it was really like, it was like this one trick that companies hate. It's unless I was asked to do something or I was asking to do something and if, if it fell outside my responsibilities, I wouldn't do it without informing people that I was doing it. And I wouldn't volunteer to do something unless there was an ask for volunteers. So instead of being like, yeah, sure, I'll come and cover that, you know, thing. But you're jumping to conclusions they really want, you know, they could be voicing their opinion about it. But I'm saying that what you do is you, you force your chain of command to issue you clear measurable tasks not woolly you know things that it's like oh it's a small business oh it's this it doesn't count it doesn't work it's really inefficient it's really stupid and in the long run it costs you money so what you've got to do is start to enforce it so i just started saying ah oh, that really sucks what are you going to do about it 
And, you know, make, you make, make people make the choice. Force your peers, your peers who are being paid a lot more than you to manage stuff, you should, they, they should be able to issue an order that it's clear. And if it's clear and measurable, then you can be paid for it in the future. That's my new task I take on. I have a lot of tasks. Take them on. I hope that I hope that comes of interest. Don't get it wrong and just never... You, you only have to volunteer for something if someone asks you to do it. You don't have to respond to passive-aggressive cues in the workplace. It was one of the things that really used to frustrate me because you'd end up... The, the, per, the boss's boss's boss doesn't know what's happening. So all they see is the things are getting done and that they're not actually getting done by the people who should be doing them, who are kind of milling around, not doing much. I have an intense dislike of middle, middle management. I don't know if you've caught up on that, but I do. So why should you start a business now? There is a lot of fear. And I'm talking specifically in the UK and the EU and in the US at the moment. We live in strange and volatile times that people are really, really worried about what's happening. And whether it's to do with the UK leaving the EU, whether it's to do with the very volatile presidency they have in the United States, money, cost, are all over the place. Tie that in as well with the fact that in Asia, like, uh, and, you know, like, specifically in Taiwan and China, our major manufacturing powerhouses for the Western countries, they're enjoying a much better quality of life and much higher wages, and, are convert, you know, they're charging larger amounts of money just at the time that the dollar and the pound is kind of dipping down. So this should be a terrifying time to start a business, but it's really, really not. What's happening, actually, is we're getting a level playing field, is that the the bigger businesses are struggling as much as smaller businesses. So this gives you the opportunity to define a good product or service and deliver it to people, and you will find that there will be customers for it especially if you're fairly slick with your marketing and you don't spend too much money doing it. Volatile times make for great businesses. There And, you know, people that are wealthy enough to spend money will always spend it. So I wouldn't worry too much about getting funded. Now is the time in these volatile and turbulent times to get out there and start actually doing what you want to do with your life. Because life won't wait for you to do it. I feel like that's really, really important. Now, let's say that you've actually got your business. Now, what we are talking about earlier is issuing clear commands. The business focus on staff is killing businesses faster than they know. We are not curating and looking after good staff. What we're doing is we're following the old 80s and 90s model the US had of customer, 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 customer. Customer care is paramount. The customer is number one. Actually, with the internet, with the advent of being able to walk into a store and check the price on something, price is more important than experience to a customer by quite a large factor, unless you can offer them a value that is way more, way, way, way more convincing than that price. Okay? So, for example, if your service is much better than they could get for a comparatively better you know, product. And that's why I think that bicycle shops will 
branch out far more into servicing and setup of bikes and custom builds than they will be as a shop front for the same bikes that people could buy anywhere else. That's absolutely what I feel will happen. And the shops that get on top of it now and make a you know a big investment in training staff to build, set up, tune forks, know inside out what makes a good ride for someone, those will be the people profiting. And if you can build a hub around that service as well, you know, tea, coffee, you know, it's like a place to hang out, guided rides on trails, demo days, stuff like that, you're going to be the one sitting there with a smile on your face when all of the other shops that were just a storefront for brands lose their company's, you know, support where the brands withdraw and start selling online. So, Yes, the customer is important, but more importantly is focusing on training staff, supporting staff, and paying them a living wage. You won't believe how much it changes your business to have a set of staff who are driven and are invested in your success. It's really, you know, it's it's so much different than having people in there that are basically drones that are barely scraping by, you know? That's 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 good it's going to change a lot it's going to change loads and loads and loads <clears throat> the other thing is really really important i feel um that you will always have problems with customers as a business owner you will always have problems with customers you only have to look at reviews on yelp to see like i went to this restaurant um I had a six-course meal for less than the price of a McDonald's. It was amazing food. The service was brilliant. It was prompt. Um, You know, it's some of the most amazing food I've ever eaten in my life. It was so delicious. You know, it's so great. Uh, But when I went into the toilet, um, they'd run out of toilet roll. So one out of ten. And that's that's their rating. (laughs) You know, it's like... You can't please you can't please them all, and you shouldn't try and please them all. What you should do is focus on your core customers and keeping them happy, not to the you know never let the customer take the piss out of you. If they're like, well, I can get this for cheaper here, it's like, okay, that's cool, that's good for you. Remember, we talked earlier about people asking you questions. If someone wants a discount, let them quantify the discount to you. When they have to say it with their own words, you know, say, oh, oh, I found this on Chain Reaction, this uh, chain ring, and it's only £20. You're like, that's awesome. And like, well, you know, but you've got it for £40. (laughs) I know, yeah. Well, um, um, Well, can I get it for £20? No. No, I'm sorry, man. You know, I can't because, you know, we, we pay more than that for it. And for me to, to sell it to you for that would be a loss. And it's like, you know, pe- people have to make money. Make, make make people quantify it. Being offered a discount for your loyalty is far more rewarding than going around asking people for discounts. You can quantify a discount to someone, though, and get one if you're like, okay, well, what about if, you know, we settle on, We'll pay 40 quid, but you fit it for me right now. Deal, you know? <laughs> That's, you know, and, and also it's like, well, you don't have to pay £5 shipping now. So that would have been £35. And then it won't arrive for a few days and you really need it now. So you can quantify the value. 
I think that's really, really important. Going into the fact that you always have problems with customers and you won't be able to solve them because people ask more and more. <clears throat> I went, uh, we, we tried to send a frame to a customer in the United States. After two attempts, um, it was sent back to us. So two attempts of three attempts, so six attempts of getting it to the customer. In in that we'd sent it to the states, the courier tried three times. The the customer wasn't in the first couple of times. It got sent back. Then we sent it back over, which we had to pay for again. You know, so the net loss was way over the profit. But at the end, you know, we wanted to get there. They got an email from the customer, and they were extremely disappointed. And we said, well, you know, we've refunded you your money, and you know, uh, apologies for this. And X, Y, Z, you know. And they said, well, I planned on going out for a ride this weekend and now my bike won't be built. So if you, like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm <laughs> I'm owed compensation over the price, you know. And customers are so used to dealing with Amazon and eBay and stuff like that, PayPal specifically, where it's, it's a right to be compensated because... Do you know why a customer, uh, why a company like Amazon will compensate you? Is because it's cheaper to send you money than to pay for people to answer your bullshit emails all day. That's that's it's way cheaper, you know, and it's one less job for them to one less headcount. So that's why you get paid off. It doesn't work in a smaller company. And also, if you're that difficult to serve to as a customer, we're not trying to retain you. Don't try and retain bad customers. It's only a hassle. Trust your acumen as well. If a, if a customer is giving you kind of a big hassle at the sale point, they're going to be a nightmare once they have the product. I had someone try and return a frame once because they'd measured the chain stay as three mil shorter than it was supposed to be, according to them. And when we sent them, you know, like when we were saying, can you send us a picture of it, it that they tape measure was in the wrong place you know and it was was like my god i can't believe i'm dealing with but that is that is working so once that customer goes you know postal on you there's a chance that you'll be getting bad ratings and stuff like that the generation above me never had to deal with global critique on a very visible scale and it is terrifying to people like us that are kind of in the in-between generation that someone might give you a bad review. But what I realised is actually most people don't give a real tiny rat's ass about those reviews. Supreme has a Trustpilot review of 1 out of 10. <laughs> and it's like, you know, loads of massive companies have almost zero good reviews because people don't tend to give a review a good review of a good product. Now, they're, they're so excited by their new thing, they go off and use it. So I realise now that reviews are kind of worthless. So I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't break your back over trying to defend them or anything like that. Go ahead and work on a positive, positive story for your brand. Now, the last thing that I learned was that it's really easy to tell people how they should do their business and very hard to do it yourself. So I think one of the most important things is to stop yourself running ahead sometimes and make sure that you focus on the consistency of your own brand, whether that's a company that you're running, whether that's your personality or who you are as the business when you are out in the open. So how you run that is just as important and the consistency of that is important. And I hope that you guys have success. 
I hope that you make the changes that you want this year and and start to have the courage to do the things that you like more. Because it was one of the changing points in my life that I started to feel like my depression was abating when I was a lot more in control of my life. And I'm guessing a lot of the guys listening to this podcast are probably the people that helped me do it. And I'd like to thank you. And from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely wish you the warmest of 2019 experiences for you. And if 2018 wasn't your year, now's the time to let go of it and move on to something positive.